You've been working to raise awareness about peak oil and climate change uh, within the NHS. How's that going? Are you seeing are you seeing progress over that time? If we talk about what I do in my professional life, long ago, 1980s, we started talking about environmental issues within the NHS, and it really didn't get much traction. Uh, so decided those energies needed to be devoted outside of work. But then in 2005-06, I think we started to um, get people in the NHS more interested, quite... Um, it was certain issues like, should is Bristol Airport big enough as it is? Um, and we said, from a public health point of view, we should put in comments on the planning application saying it's quite big enough as it is because the carbon emissions of aviation are not in the interests of planetary or human health and that enabled us to focus the attention of our board on environmental issues and whilst they felt it was a step too far for them to get involved in the planning debates they did allow us to you know on home notepaper just like we used to do in the old days of tobacco control we had to do it on home notepaper and NHS organisations started to say, okay, yeah, we have more than a role of just looking at um, our own carbon footprints. We should be advocates as well. And so we had some really positive work then um, on carbon footprints, and we did the Bristol Peak Oil Report. But what we found was that within the NHS, because DEFRA says to the NHS, the government says there is not an issue with... um, fossil fuel depletion um, the NHS really is not in a position to even start to do oil vulnerability audits and, and so really getting that kind of broad system uh, thinking was very hard even though there were people writing about what's called ecological public health and, and so in my own life what I did was I managed to find a niche where my Director of Public Health allowed me to work as a public health partner to the to local government, working on getting a health um, voice behind trans- sustainable transport, sustainable healthy transport, uh, good food. So good food in every widest sense: good for workers, good for nature, uh, good for animal welfare, good for local businesses, good for us. Um, and so that's what I've been doing since 2010. Um, I don't talk a lot about peak oil at work. Um, we talk more about, um, well, you know, we're facing economic disruption. Resources are depleting. The environment is degrading. We need to get on with creating a better world. And um, uh, how, how, where are the largest sort of reducible energy uses within the NHS, do you think? Where, where are the places where it could be where it could make the biggest impact quickest? Procurement is the big one. Um, and a big chunk of that is pharmaceuticals. And that's the entire pharmaceutical industry. Um, it, in terms of the drugs, the packaging, the whole advertising schmoozle that goes behind that, all the flying people all over the world to conferences. Um it's a very difficult one. I mean, the, the, some of the pharmaceutical companies are taking it seriously. Um, but, uh, I mean, you, we are, we're in this situation with the NHS that it's a very politicised institution. 
it's hard by by government policy and the um you know the name of the game still is economic growth and jobs in the pharmaceutical industry are more important to the government than than human health in a way and so how do you characterize the pressures that the nhs finds itself under at the moment just finishing off your previous question per oh, capita per capita the carbon footprint of the nhs is probably about half a ton per head per year um and uh, i think if you if you gave people the choice you know would you like uh, to fly less or give up the give up your entire entitlement to nhs they'd say actually i'll fly less um and and the nhs can reduce its carbon footprint a lot um the coming back to your question about the nhs um and I see health as wider than the NHS. I mean, health is a is an outcome, really. And everything that the transition movement is doing is good for health because it's about clean water, clean air, good food, safety, security, connection with nature, um, and towns that are livable. But coming back to the NHS, it's the NHS is a delivery mechanism for um, a huge and complex range of different forms of care um, and at the moment it's it's a very difficult environment to work in because it's going through enormous structural changes and the 2011 Health and Social Care Act which led to the 2012 Health and Social Care Bill has really fragmented the NHS a lot so it's become a really heartbreaking field to work in to try and get unified change if I'm honest. But in, in, in theory we're looking at the public health discussions around public health seem to open up the potential for uh, for local food you know for the, the idea that hospitals could start to become more like market gardens or uh, or looking at you know those looking at things like where food comes from uh, local food as strategies for public health seems to seems to open up some interesting avenues that weren't there before, do they? Yes, and it's a really fruitful area of work. And the, I mean the, the big North Bristol NHS Trust, which is Southmead Hospital, is the first hospital in England to get silver on the Soil Association's Food for Life Catering Award, and that, um, that flowed really from quite some years back when, when Prince Charles ran some May Day events, the chief exec of the, that large organisation was at one of his events and came back saying to her catering managers, how do we do this? And they've worked really, really hard at it. And that hospital, they've built a new hospital and they've put kitchens in. And a lot of, and Nottingham Trust is also similarly done really well. Um, though I think there's been recent changes to their catering contracts, so some of that work has taken a step backwards. And it's about having enough people in the right places within the NHS organisation who see that even though it might cost a few pence more per head per meal, that price is worth it because it's better for health, it's better for the environment and it's better for local businesses. So where public health was recently moved out of the NHS and into um, councils, mm. what, what, why was that and what difference does that make to what you're doing? 
Um, in some ways, it made uh, a positive, if any, no difference or positive to what I'm doing, because I was already working with local government on transport, food, planning, um, built environment, that kind of thing. In terms of um, the whole, what is also, it hasn't only moved public health into local government, it's also created new organisations, NHS England and Public Health England. So an awful lot of, at the moment, public health people are saying, where is everybody? Uh, you know, half our colleagues are in organisations, we don't quite know where they are, and everybody's in new jobs. It's my 13th restructure um, in my career in public health. It's immensely diverting because the amount of paperwork, you know, it's like kind of getting a divorce, knocking your house down and rebuilding it all in the same go. Um, so I think the the links in local government are good. The, the funding cuts in local government create challenges. And um, the uh, clinical commissioning groups, on paper at least, would potentially have a uh, uh, could potentially have a, a role if you had the right people in those of really driving that process of local procurement and uh, investing in on-site renewables and so on and so on. Can they do that, or is that a rather naive interpretation of them? They are very stretched, um, short of skills, uh, criticised daily by politicians and a threat of judicial judicial review for any decision from people who quite understandably want to throw a spanner in the works with the current reorganisation, which they see as simply selling the NHS to the private sector. The, the, so the, the Health and Social Care Act had clauses and phrases within it which... Um, change what's at the heart of the NHS. So the NHS, when it was established, its system aim was to deliver care fairly, free at the point of um, delivery, universally to everybody, no matter who they were. And the the 2012 Act changes the duty of the Secretary of State to make sure that happens, so that healthcare becomes a commodity now. Um, so it won't happen overnight, but... Um, I'm I'm just trying to be really honest with you because it's only a matter of time before the NHS is just a brand um, and behind it are a lot of large multinational organisations. So clinical commissioning groups, many of them are doing wonderful things and people within the NHS have a strong culture of caring about not just personal health but community, the health of the whole community, the health of the whole ecosystem and they are doing what they can, and the NHS Sustainable Development Unit, headed up by David Pension, is helping them as much as they can. But there are also these other forces. As there are, I mean, it's familiar territory to you and to us in the transition movement, because um, in a way what the transition movement is doing is setting up new prototypes um, that work at a local level, irrespective of what's going on in the in the big multinational corporations and and in a way health will I think start to do that we'll start getting community owned companies saying well this is really fragmented we're going to set up to take over community care for old folk or whatever and 
there are already big links. So, you know, there's GP practices in Bristol, which allow people to grow fruit and veg in there in the land around the GP practice. There are all sorts of visionaries. Um, all, I, all I'm cautious about is any massive, you know, top down led approach saying actually resource depletion and the environment mean we should all do this. Um, and so what would be the best way that so community groups, transition groups who are listening to this, what would for you would be the best way that they could uh, support their local health institutions in this kind of shift? What, what would that relationship look like uh, if it was working in the way that you'd like to see it working? That's um, that's a really interesting question. I think one of the strongest things is people who work in the health sector participating actively in transition. And those who don't work in the health sector and who are aware of some of the issues we face and are trying to work positively towards a future that is resilient, extend a hand of friendship to people in the health sector and recognise the constraints that health sector workers are under. Um, and this is the same across so many spheres. Once you, you know, it, once you sit down together, often those of us who work in the... I mean, every time I hear someone criticise the NHS, my heart sinks because I take it personally and I have to tell myself, no, I mustn't take it personally. Um, the NHS is very large and everything you say about it is probably true somewhere. So just forming those connections at local level and see where it leads. So if you were, um, if, if you were to be able to... Um wave a magic wand if you became a health secretary of state or something tomorrow mm. what, what would be the, the the three key things you think that would be uh, <clears throat> that would need to be changed in order to really make the NHS a, a more resilient playing its part in terms of climate change peak oil and so on <clears throat> I would want to see an honest appraisal of resource depletion and its impact on the health sector, I would commission that straight away. Um, because without that, it doesn't matter how many people in the health sector are saying the way we're evolving our new models of care are less and less resilient and more and more resource intensive. It doesn't matter how many times we say that at local level. The, the driver from the top becomes, you can't talk about that, there is no problem with um, energy and resources. So, number one, I'd commission a proper review and I would commission it from people who were independent of government and could look at the evidence and say what they felt they needed to say. Uh, number two, I'd reverse the key clauses in the 2012 Health and Social Care Act so we still have a nationwide system committed to delivering care fairly and according to need. Um, Number three, I would um, put into the requirement for every health sector organisation clear measures that are about their transport footprint, their food procurement, um, and 
yeah, probably those two because the NHS has been good on energy use in buildings, but they haven't really had any legitimate emphasis on their impact on transport and their impact on food. Um, I'd also want to invent what India are doing, which would probably be quite hard legally, which is to have our own um, pharmaceutical industry that looks at really using the simplest medicines um, and the most important medicines instead of this endless pursuit of more and more drugs that do less and less good. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so just as a sort of a final kind of recap, I guess, so, so your sense is that within the public health, that the public health field opens up lots of potential for lots of the different things that that transition would like to see be described as public health, local food, renewables, community engagement, that kind of thing, that previously would be argued as being sustainability, you could now argue is 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 public health, and that there would be, if the right people, and that if the inspiration was to spark within the NHS, there is quite a lot the NHS can do, but the difficulties come with the procurement rules and the, and the restrictions from the top down in terms of the degree of freedom that individual hospitals would have? Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. And if you take, for example, um, I mean, I helped run um, at our public health, you know, once a year, everyone in the southwest gets together and we have a really, really brilliant residential school uh, at Dartington, as it happens. And we ran a session on contentious issues and we used the example of fracking. And um, everybody, we the workshop tables were asked to say, you know, if they were producing a report on the health impacts of uh, extreme energy extraction, what would it look like? And if they woke up in the future and the public health uh, movement had done everything they could have wished for, what would it be like? And everybody came to the conclusion that big picture-wise, um, from the public health perspective, we shouldn't even be thinking of extreme energy extraction for very many sound reasons. In contrast, Public Health England were given a brief to say, in effect, it was, we are going to do extreme energy extraction. Please see, is there any direct evidence yet that this will cause direct damage to human health? And of course, the answer to that is, there isn't much direct evidence yet. But that's not the question we want to ask. So when you say the freedoms people have within the system um, to say to take those big picture questions they're not the, f- the freedoms aren't really there doesn't mean people can't do a lot they can do a lot but we have to be quite creative how we do it and as you say you have to join health and sustainability you know they're like twins and and you do it on that double argument 